So I guess I can talk a little bit more, I mentioned in the show yesterday, about Miley Cyrus, achy breaky hairdo's daughter, who was uh, a Disney princess. She was the star of a very influential television show for female tweens uh, called Hannah Montana. I think I think I, I saw one. I don't even ask me why. <laughs> Just curiosity. Uh, I may even check out Duck Dynasty at some point. I'm always curious about uh, what's going on in the culture. And, you know, it was a cute, goofy, sweet, innocuous show where a girl had, you know, first world tween problems. And was it her dead mother would come to visit her in the form of uh, Brooke Shields? And she sang... A song at the end of it, and she was very pretty and blah blah blah. Now, the transformation of the virginal princess to the lap dancing horselet is a time honored tradition, uh, particularly in the sort of uh, the Disney world. Uh, um, Christina Aguilera, Britney Spears, Lindsay Lohan, go on and on. The it, it's as similar as the change from, you know, precocious, dewy-eyed boy star to drug abusing bad boy, bloody bloody blah. Hollywood, they they break things and they particularly break uh, beautiful things, and it is, of course, desperately harmful for a woman who's had a lot of influence on teen girls to openly portray such hypersexuality. I mean, that's that's a very bad thing to be doing. It's a very irresponsible thing to be doing. You have influence uh, if you were a teen star. You have influence over teenagers. And if this is who you have become, they are uh, tragically... You know, because we don't have any philosophy, all we have is imprinting. They're going to... A lot of them are going to want to emulate you. And it's pretty tragic. The degree to which the impression impressionability of a hypersensitive youth is exploited by the media is truly tragic. I mean, sort of one example is the rap world, where these moguls who are a long way from the hood uh, make a lot of money promoting violent behavior the consequences of which they will never have to suffer. And they do this by, you know, fermenting this bitches and hoes, ghetto thug, get respect, carry a gun, kill the cops kind of stuff. And they make a, a lot of money. And now, why are youths, particularly black youths, susceptible to this? Well, uh, children who grow up without a loving role model of the opposite gender, or the same gender for that matter, end up with a caricature of that gender. In the same way that, you know, if you didn't if you didn't know any black people in sort of the nineteen twenties and nineteen thirties, you'd end up with this caricature of of black people, which is uh you know, the uh, Yo Massa or uh, whatever it was, blackface singing minstrel stuff. I mean, you'd end up with this caricature. In the same way that uh, 
<laughs> I mean, I guess I got into some trouble with some people by uh, making fun of a southern accent. Um, for those who were upset by it, I apologize uh, for your upset, but uh, seriously, um, <laughs> I've made fun of a lot of other accents in this show, and uh, don't get a lot of outrage, so I get, you know, the southern hick is a caricature, and um, it was just, it was fun. But anyway, so if you don't have an intimate knowledge of a parent, uh, a deep sort of loving, intimate relationship with a parent, then you're going to end up with a caricature of that parent's gender. And sex and violence are the two caricatures of femininity and masculinity. It's very primitive. And a violence, of course, in a, a situation of destroyed households, in a situation of destroyed families, our nature programs us to pursue the paths of aggression and hypersexuality. And the reason for that is that we assume that in a destroyed household that we are already in the presence of adults who pursue violence and sexuality for males and females respectively. And we do that because we're in a situation of war with other tribes or in a situation where resources are few and far between. Right? There's, just, there's not many animals to hunt. There's not much fruit to pick. There aren't many nuts and berries to gather. Uh, you name it. We are short of resources. Now, when you're short of resources, you know, empathy, kindness, niceness, and no, please, you help yourself first. I'll be fine later. Uh, we'll generally get you to starve to death. And certainly empathy and niceness would get you killed in the sort of endless internecine tribal conflicts that characterize most of early human history. And so, given that male providers are less likely to be around and because they're um, aggressive uh, and because they're likely to get killed, and also because even if they're not likely to get killed, due to the scarcity of local resources, they have to go on long-range hunting parties, so they're not going to be around. Then the strategy that is pursued by women in these situations, the sexual strategy that is pursued by women in these situations, is the bad boy strategy, right? And the bad boy strategy is find the most uh, dominant, aggressive man, uh, provoke him with displays of hypersexuality into having sex with you, and then use the communal resources as best you can to raise the child. So paternal abandonment is, to me, uh, and I think there's a good reasons for this, I don't think it's just my opinion, it's not something that I think I can empirically prove, although I think that there's good biological arguments for it. But absent father provokes hypersexuality on the part of girls, or bad relationship with father provokes hypersexuality on the part of girls, and bad or absent father provokes hyperaggression on the part of boys. Uh, these are uh, survival strategies for uh, sexual selection based upon the early genetic reading of the value or disvalue of social cooperation in the tribe. And the stability 
and possibility of stability for uh, long-term relationships, right? I mean, there are two basic strategies for uh, genetic reproduction. The first is to pair bond in a stable environment and invest enormously in a fewer number of children. The second is to have fairly indiscriminate sex and not stick around particularly to raise those children. And, you know, a lot of them won't survive, but a few of them will. And the personalities of the children are developed in accordance with the proximity of children and develop along these two reproductive strategy lines. And so when you are a woman, if you have a bad relationship with your father, you are going to be drawn towards hypersexuality. And I would argue that this is true even more so if your mother uh, is absent. But uh, in particular, it's to do with the... right. So uh, there's a hypersexuality in the black uh, culture because there are so many, right, almost three-quarters of uh, black children in America are born outside of wedlock. And so what do you see? You see hypersexuality on the part of the women and you see aggression on the part of the men. Uh, if you look across the family bond pond, so to speak, to, say, Japanese Americans or those in Japan, you see most, um, most if not all the children are born in wedlock and uh, to parents who stay together, and you do not see hypersexuality on the part of Japanese Women, for the most part, they're quite conservative, and you do not see hyperaggression on the part of Japanese men. And so when we see the emergence of the twin forces of hypersexuality and uh, hyperaggression, we see it coming out of um, uh, sort of mid to late 60s and the early 70s, and there were two forces, of course, that were disrupting the uh, nuclear family in in this time period, and the first, of course, was the welfare state, and the second was some pretty radical uh, feminism. The welfare state, of course, uh, disrupts the family because the woman does not have to um, have a man around to provide resources, and therefore she can indulge in stupid sexuality, like just going for pretty boys or macho boys or whatever high-status thugs, uh, whether white or black, doesn't really matter. But she can indulge in dumb, short-term thinking sexuality. And if women become more interested in bad boys, then, oh, lo and behold, look look what nature is producing and look what men's choices are producing is a lot of bad boys, right? So, I mean, Jay-Z sings a lot about bitches and hoes and and thugs and and ghetto life and so on. And he has, you know, the alpha female of the African-American community, which is Beyonce Knowles, and he then ends up hobnobbing with the president. uh, And, of course, the president and his wife are very much concerned about ghetto culture, but then have over one of the most successful proponents of ghetto culture and his wife, and this is, you know, seen within the African American community. He, you know, wants families to stay together. And then, anyway, 
you you sort of you get it. So uh, uh, men are are usually the men's personalities react to uh, female preferences in terms of what the women are looking for and so on. And so with the welfare state comes a uh, turning of uh, women from the need to channel their sexual sexuality and sexual desires towards you know less exciting perhaps less physically attractive stable long-term beta providers to you know the Marlon Brando style wild one oh gosh ask your grandparents at this point <laughs> don't even ask your parents they tune their sexuality uh, more towards the bad boys and therefore men start to become more bad boys um, because they want to have sex and that's how they get sex and you can see the MGTOW uh, the men going their own way movement and and uh, so, sort of the grass eating or uh, the um, the grass eating movement uh, in Japan where the men are turning away from sex as a sort of beta male retaliation against the woman's focus on you know pretty idiotic bad boys. I've talked about this before that I've certainly never been in the top tier of physical attractiveness, but I've certainly hung out with men who are, and seeing this endless tsunami of women who will throw themselves at these men uh, is, is just ridiculous. I mean, <laughs> one guy, I mentioned this before, I used to play squash with, and uh, he was a short, but, you know, good-looking guy, and um, he was telling me this story about how a, a girl he was dating came over and found him with uh, another girl. He hadn't told them that they were exclusive. So, yeah, pretty man-slutty on his part. And she came over. She was angry. She stormed out. And he had sort of the flu and took to bed for a couple of days. And he could see he had one of these old-fashioned, you-can-hear-it kind of answering machines. Uh, I'm sure because of his man-whore ways, his himbo ways, he wanted to <laughs> guess keep this kind of news ahead of him. And this woman called. She was screaming at him. She was so angry. And, you know, over the course of a day or two, she called repeatedly. You know, the tone began to change. Why aren't you calling me back? And maybe I got too angry. I'm sorry. Please call me back. You know, maybe we can even have a threesome. With you know, she just completely crumbled because he wasn't this pretty boy. wasn't calling her back. And and he just laughed at this because he's just this is the way women are, at least around me. And, I mean, this was just, boy, I mean, you don't have to be the you know, the sociopathic alpha pretty boy. You just, To see this stuff, you just have to to see it around. Uh, you just have to be around them and you, and you see it. Again, since not all women, right? <laughs> now, well, it's not all women are like that. I understand that. But it is, uh, there's no shortage of it. And these tend to be the prettiest girls. Of course, they're looking for the prettiest boys so that they can, I don't know, look good for their girlfriends. Or you know, I mean, they don't assess the value of the man's personality. And, uh, I mean, he treats them like dirt, and they come back for more. And, of course, when when the nerds see this, right, and I'm putting myself in that category, but when the nerds see that, these pretty girls are just throwing themselves at these obviously, you know, selfish, narcissistic, sociopathic man-boys just because they're pretty, well, without assessing their personality, um, they just they get enraged, right? Because they're like, well, I'm a stable, sensible, sensitive, flower-bearing, a good provider, and I can't get these women interested in me. But, of course, the irony is that the nerds are enraged that the pretty girls 
are only judging the pretty boys by looks with no regard to their personality or personal qualities or virtue but of course the nerds only want the pretty girls for exactly the same reason you know like oh you want the pretty girl are you assessing the girl for anything other than looks are you assessing the girl according to personal virtues and stability and maturity no you're just assessing her according to looks and you're enraged at the pretty girl for assessing the boys only on the basis of looks and uh, so <laughs> you have become what you uh, despise so maybe you can start looking for the women of quality who aren't quite as curvaceous or uh, pantene haired or whatever right but uh, I mean this is it's natural. I've done it. Everyone's done it. But I mean, you have to catch yourself and say, "Well, why uh, am I upset that the girls are going for the pretty boys when I'm only going for the pretty girls? Why am I upset that the pretty girls don't judge the man's quality of character when I don't judge the quality of character of the pretty girls?" Helps a lot in terms of uh, in terms of resentment. I mean, judging by looks is uh, understandable, but a terrible decision. Right? There's, there's two quotes that I remember about looks. I think both of them come out of the Hollywood. Now one is, uh, no matter how gorgeous and sexy that woman is, somewhere, someplace, there's some guy who's tired of putting up with her shit. <laughs> and the second is, uh, beauty wears out after about three days of walking around your apartment. The, 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 the value of beauty sort of wears out. And it's sort of kind of interesting. So, when you look at Miley Cyrus, from what I've read, she has a pretty bad relationship with her father, and she would have had bad, a bad relationship with male role models because the male role models in her life would have wanted uh, her to be profitable. And so they would have viewed her as a means to an end, uh, as I talked about uh, in my Empathy podcast uh, yesterday. They would have viewed her as a means to an end, uh, as a profit center, as a piece of uh, pretty cash livestock. And so they would have manipulated her for their own benefit. And, uh, of course, she's benefited. She's worth like $150 million, a little bit more than I'm worth, which shows you the value of uh, flat asses over deep philosophy. And so what a positive and intimate and, and loving and concerned for her and only her for her own sake role models would she have had? Well, well, not. So she is going to go from sweet and virginal to hypersexual. So that is quite inevitable and... Uh, this is this this hypersexuality is simply a marker of a reproductive strategy that is based upon the shattering of the family and the shattering of the family achieved through welfare and through radical feminism uh, radical feminism openly views marriage as a prison and women uh, wives as slaves and uh, says that it is a, an exploitive dishonorable evil institution that no decent woman would have anything to do with. And uh, if you're in it, then you need to wake up and get the hell out and never look back and, and so on. It's part of the delightful uh, double standards of, of a society that has no philosophy and has therefore only manipulation. It is a delightful uh, double standard that when I point out that you don't have to spend time with abusive parents who won't change, 
that uh, I am somehow viewed as a, a bad guy. But uh, there are massive, massive amounts of feminist literature that basically say uh, marriage is an evil and exploitive institution and all women should leave their husbands no matter what. Um, or that, you know, all heterosexual sex is rape and so on. And these women get professorships, teaching posts, books published, uh, they go on the lecture circuits. and I mean, it's, it's just, I mean, it's funny, right? This is sort of the where, where society is. I mean, Joe Biden uh, in 2007 was talking about how the president should never commit military force without congressional approval, which should not be that controversial because it's right there in the Constitution. And now he's trying to debate with Barack Obama whether they personally, without any congressional approval or oversight, should uh, attack Syria. I mean, it's, it's inevitable, right? I'm aware it's the anti-war left now that a leftist president is doing exactly the same to Syria as was a plan for Iraq. Well, not exactly. They're starting with sort of a shot across the bow and not committing full-time and so on. So when the family breaks down, you get... Uh, male aggression, and you get hypersexuality on the part of the females. And these two actually kind of coincide. Like, I remember I went to, uh, the first time I went to Las Vegas was probably about 15 years ago. I went with my brother, and we were uh, in Vegas for uh, a a software convention because we were running a software company at the time. And I remember being quite irritable in Vegas. And it was interesting because Vegas, I mean, I guess I haven't been, I, I guess I went back I went two years ago um, uh, at the, uh, uh, on the kind invitation of laissez-faire books, lfb.org forward slash S-T-E-F, as in Frank, A-N. Sign up for that monthly thing. Oh, it's delicious and delightful. All the monthly goodies you can get. But laissez-faire books invited me down to speak at Libertopia and I had a great time. But I was there with my wife and daughter, so I didn't see sort of... I wasn't sort of wandering around town. I was just going to, going to kids' activities and staying in the hotel. But the first time I was there, about 15 years ago, it was, at least where I was traveling, I guess with a nerd convention like I was at, it was a hypersexual place. I mean, there were flyers for uh, prostitutes all over the place and peep booths and... and uh, there were women scantily clad propositioning men all over the place. And, of course, at the software convention, there was the booth babes, as they're called, and so on, right? So it was a, a hyper-sexual environment. And that's something that made me kind of irritable after a while. And it was because, you know, when you, you keep provoking male sexual desire, uh, men get more aggressive, I believe. Now, I'm not going to say this is true because um, because I experienced it, but I do, uh, I do remember that, that sort of constant sexual titillation. Now, of course, I mean, the internet provides that too, but men masturbate and relax after that, right? But uh, if you're in a constant state of sexual titillation without satisfaction, then I think that also helps to provoke aggression. And I think there's good, again, good evolutionary reproductive reasons for that, which is that if women are constantly sexual, sexually available, then it is most likely, if there's hypersexuality on the part of the female, it is designed to provoke 
a hyperaggressive alpha male response. For the simple reason, of course, that in an environment of scarcity and social disintegration and war, women want to give birth to the boys who have the most uh, aggression, and they want to give birth to the girls who are the most sexually attractive, which is why the men want to have sex with the most sexually attractive women, regardless of the long-term stability or their personal qualities and so on, and why the women want to have sex with the most aggressive men, regardless of the long-term stability and their own personal qualities and so on, because they're just looking for kids who are going to survive. And the sexier, the sexier that women are in a chaotic and dysfunctional social environment, in a violent social environment, the sexier that women are, the more likely that they are to be, of course, uh, if, if the other tribe wins, they will be kept as captives and, and so on, right? Uh, and even if their offspring are killed, they will have sex or be raped and new offspring will come along. So the sexier they are, the more of a prize they are. And of course, you think of these sort of Turkish harems and so on, or the Middle Eastern harems. Uh, the sexiest women would be uh, kept and used as prizes by, uh, by the men, right? And so sexuality, being sexy, was um, a great protection for women in a sort of violent and coercive environment, and they needed to really display this uh, this sexuality. And so that's that's what they did. And so this uh, display of you know alpha female hypersexuality on the part of Miley Cyrus uh, is uh, you know it's nothing more or less, I guess, than the reproductive strategy that it is adaptive to a situation of fatherly alienation and. Um, exploitation and uh, uh, sort of familial collapse. And so if you look at the uh, the dance, I mean, the, the, the sort of um, um, V... Oh gosh, what's the acronym? The Video Music Awards. VMA. The VMA dance. Um, so, I mean, there's all the... Uh, Associations. I mean, there's lots of pedophilia associations, right? I mean, dancing with these giant teddy bears and and all that kind of stuff. I mean, that's and the fact that it hairs up in pigtails, all those satanic kinds of pigtails, which is the association of evil with uh, being a girl, which of course is what pedophiles, uh, I would imagine, are sort of after is the satisfaction of destroying innocence and and, uh, and 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 lack of experience in, in sexual matters and so on just you know trashing and wrecking innocent children that's I guess the pedophiles uh, fundamental uh, kick so I mean there's lots of that sort of stuff uh, going on but if you look at the dance uh, as a whole then it is uh, her joyfully, pleasuring an older, cold-hearted man who has uh, resources, right? Uh, I mean, this is um, uh, uh, Thick. his name, Alan Thick, Robin Thick. I can't remember. Anyway, his father, I think, was the ex-Canadian, always Canadian comedian and talk show host and sitcom star. Thick of the Night was his show, and I, he did a sitcom for a little while, but um, so she is attaching herself to a high-status, cold-hearted man. The man is not flattered to have her there. He barely notices her. 
and so she's vying for the alpha male's attention with hypersexuality while he is um, making his money. Now, of course, I get it. She's got lots of money. She doesn't need a man to, to pay for her or anything like that. But these templates occur regardless, right? I mean, these templates occur regardless of the amount of money the woman has. Now, the presence of this duality among men and women of aggression and sexuality, uh, it changes the, uh, the strategies and the social values that are portrayed. So, the hypersexuality of women uh, then becomes uh, a, a virtue. Uh, it becomes, uh, I'm worth it, I believe in myself. Uh, it becomes uh, this very bizarre thing called empowerment. Uh, sexual advertising of the self is, is called empowerment, which is very, uh, very strange, because empowerment whatever that word means, and it's just one of these words like inappropriate that people just wave around like a magic wand without any real definition of what it means. But empowerment is one of these funny words because empowerment should be about that which gives you power, but if you are making yourself sexually attractive to a man, then that is not something that is making you uh, powerful and independent. Uh, that is setting the honey trap to get a man. Uh, that is really not uh, empowerment at all. And in a situation of a social uh, collapse and, and so on, and the welfare state and the radical feminism uh, create the impression of social collapse, even though society is more than wealthy enough for stable families to raise children and so on, but it creates the impression of uh, social collapse. Uh, absent fathers create the impression of a lack of resources, and, and in many ways, of course, relative to other people in society, it creates a reality of lack of resources, because you know, single moms are generally very poor. But in, in this environment, all values change, and the obsession with attractiveness, I mean, it's always been there, but the obsession with attractiveness just becomes pathological. And I was reading about how Katy Perry had a Vogue cover, and for like three months she, she didn't drink any coffee, she, she drank lots of water, she exercised like crazy, she, she totally watched her diet and, and all that. I mean, for a picture. Because she had to look perfect, you see. Well, why? I mean, she's already staggeringly wealthy, and she's considered a, a beautiful woman uh, by just about anybody who looks at her, or at least very attractive. She, she couldn't possibly need a man to provide her resources. So why, why should she care about how, how pretty she looks? Like Jamie Lee Curtis, uh, Tony Curtis's daughter, who was, I don't know, in the 80s, I think, she was like the poster girl for workouts. She had just a, a great great body. And even in True Lies, which was a film in the 90s, I think, she has a, a fantastic body. 
Well, now that she's like 50 or over 50, she's starting to say, well, you know, we really shouldn't focus so much on looks. And uh, here's a picture of me when I'm not sucking my stomach in. And here's a picture of me without uh, makeup and so on. It's like, well, sure, she can do that now because she's, you know, over the hill. So she can now take all kinds of uh, uh, stances around how we shouldn't focus on looks. And when she had the looks of the body, then she sure as hell didn't do that. But now that she's over the hill, as far as her sexual value goes, she can get all kinds of philosophical about how we hopefully focus on beauty. But, I mean, that's as ridiculous as a man who blows all his money then saying, well, we shouldn't be so materialistic. It's like, well, yeah, because you have no money left. So now you, when you, when you had money, you were all kinds of materialistic, and now you've lost all your money. Now you can talk about the value of asceticism, uh, but that's all just nonsense, right? But this, the, it, the values all change. So now there, there are jokes, um, which is basically uh, uh, the walk of shame, you know, I mean, uh, where a woman is walking home after a, an ill-advised tryst. Oh, God, tryst? How old am I, 80? <laughs> an ill-advised one-night stand. Booty call, bangathon with some guy she barely knows. I don't even know his last name. And she sort of walks home and, uh, disheveled in the same clothes she was in the day before. It's called the walk of shame, but it's just kind of a joke, right? Like, if you watch the show, I think it's on HBO, called Girls, I mean, you'll see some, I mean, just unbelievably horrifying behavior among youth. I really can't believe that youth are like that. Um, uh, it's it's absolutely appalling. I mean, it makes it makes Californication look like uh, something out of uh, Jane Austen. But there is this... Um, the values change so that when when... You know, the maxi boob slatathon becomes a template for uh, young women, then the, the values all change. And before, there was sort of some sense of modesty or some sense of propriety or decorum or whatever it was. And it was considered, you know, very low rent to, you know, have your boobs hanging out and your ass hanging out and, you know, showing up to do a dance mostly naked and simulating stand-up doggy-style sex with uh, an older man would be considered, like, unbelievably, unthinkably, you know, <laughs> just like, it's unthinkable. It couldn't, it couldn't be imagined. Try, try imagining that in the 1950s or whatever, right? I mean, imagine, I mean, Madonna can do that crap, but Madonna sort of paved the way for that. Uh, this sort of stuff, this hypersexuality. Madonna also had a terrible relationship with her father. But, I mean, you can't imagine uh, a gentleman before blondes with Marilyn Monroe, her putting on a tiny flesh-colored bikini and writhing her ass up against uh, some man. I mean, this... Well, Marilyn Monroe was 80% pedophilia anyway. I've talked about that in another... Uh, in another show from some years ago. I just couldn't imagine it. But this changes the values. So now, hypersexuality is not the passive, desperate desire to entice a man with your body while repelling him with your personality. Uh, it's not fundamentally a lie, right? So the pickup artists say, oh, you, you, you can lie about what you do in order to get women people say, well, that's lying. And they say, well, yeah, but women have their push-up bras, their their makeup, uh, 
their false eyelashes, their uh, hair extensions. I mean, the women are lying all the time about how attractive they are. So why can't men do that too? Or as Chris Rock says, you know, women lie all the time. Your boobs ain't that big. Your hair ain't that long. <laughs> you know, they lie all the time. Or as he says, uh, men's lies are fairly innocuous. You know, yeah, I was with Stan on Saturday night. Women's lies a little more serious. This is your baby. <laughs> Which is, you know, tragic and somewhat true. Have a significant proportion of women feel it's perfectly fine to lie about paternity. And do. But now it becomes uh, empowerment. And if you say... And and slut shaming, right? Slut shaming is something that is considered to be really bad. In other words, saying that a woman has negative characteristics because she is dressed extremely provocatively. And the idea that women have no role in provoking sexual misconduct on the part of men. And this has nothing to do with the law. Like if I'm a, if I'm a guy and I go into uh, a black bar and start calling everyone nigger and homeboy and, you know, the KKK should have finished their work and so on. That's all perfectly legal. Now, the odds of me getting beaten up are not tiny, but it's certainly not illegal to, to, to say that kind of stuff, right? But stupid, right? So if I'm intensely provocative uh, in a situation, then whoever throws the first punch is the one who commits the first crime, and I have not committed a crime by being uh, offensive. But there's not a lot of men who would have a huge amount of sympathy for me getting beaten up for going in to a biker bar and calling them all, you know, fags and gay boys, and, and, you know, I've never seen this much leather outside of a gay bar. You all must be repressing something. You know, if, if I just go in and I'm deliberately provocative and insulting, and then something bad happens in consequence, yeah, I mean, the people who throw the first punch uh, are definitely the ones who are the criminals, and they are initiating the use of force and so on. I mean, I'm just being ridiculously offensive. Now, if a woman, uh, you know, goes to uh, a party where men are drunk, and she herself gets drunk, and she's, you know, bumping grinding on the table and grinding on guys' laps and so on, and then something bad happens, yeah, I mean, the guy who does it is, is wrong. She go to jail and is bad or whatever happens in a, in a free society. But as Camilla, as Camilla Paglia has pointed out, I mean, can we not have some questions about the woman's judgment in being that provocative uh, in a situation where alcohol has caused significant disinhibition? Uh, bad stuff's going to happen, and um, it doesn't mean that the men aren't at fault. It doesn't mean they shouldn't be punished. But can we not have some questions about the judgment of women who do that? I think we can. I mean, if I leave, as she points out, as I, if I leave my wallet on a park bench in Central Park uh, for two days, I come back and it's gone. Yeah, whoever took it stole it. But I did leave my <laughs> wallet on a park bench for two days. I have some role in its vanishing or being stolen. And what happens is then when family disintegration or its ideological and welfare-based simulation has its inevitable effects on the prevalence of female hypersexuality and male aggression, what happens is when, when women in particular begin acting that way, then, you know, the infinite sisterhood of endless female support and 
justification, no matter how damaging to women, kicks in. And anybody who then says this hypersexuality is unhealthy is then, you know, a sticky butt prude who probably can't get laid and who is shocked and troubled by uh, a, a woman uh, having fun while doing a sexy dance and uh, the, the repressed and and heavily Christian and, you know, you probably bear us, spank your daughters out of sexual dysfunction and, you know, just every kind of insult gets thrown at someone. But uh, I tell you, if uh, Isabella were ever to do that as a 20-year-old, I uh, I would look pretty pretty deep into my heart about what I had done wrong as a father that this had resulted in this kind of behavior. Because it's dangerous for women to be hypersexual in the same way that it's dangerous for men to be verbally abusive. Right? I mean, to, to go into a, a black bar and or even go into a gay bar and call them, you know, all a bunch of fags. I mean, gay, gay guys can be pretty aggressive and they work out a lot and you can get the crap beaten out of you by going in and calling, you know, saying gays should be killed and this and that and the other. Or, you know, but, I mean, maybe that's too much because that would maybe be perceived as a threat, but, you know, uh, you know, it's an abomination. Uh, you're degenerates and so on, Well, You will certainly at least, at the very least, get forcibly ejected from the bar. It's dangerous for men to be verbally abusive to other men and it's dangerous for women to be hypersexual. It, it, it provokes aggression among men already conditioned to being aggressive because of the prevalence of female hypersexuality. And women are the customers and men are the providers of sexuality. Because the vast majority of men will not have sex against a woman's will with a woman. And so if, me- if women gravitate towards trashy men, then uh, men will focus on uh, being trashy. You know, in the same way that if there's a big demand for some product, then people will start to provide uh, that product, right? And that's not too complicated to understand, right? If everybody wants tablets, there'll be a lot of people providing tablets. And this is why you have seen, of course, the shift in men from uh, a focus on career and provisions to a focus on uh, six-packs and gel, right? Uh, women are now more focused on, on pretty boys. Again, that's because they're pretty aggressive boys uh, and uh, and so on. And this is why um, uh, girls are into like boy bands and all that kind of stuff. Although the boys always have to pretend to be uh, to be sweet uh, until they get older, at which, guys, at which point they can become uh, bad boys, right? Um, but um, so this constant defense of, of hypersexuality on the part of the female and this um, worship of hyper hyperaggression on the part of the male through like rap culture and uh, all that sort of stuff, that's all uh, very, very important and fundamental to understand. Anyway, so I hope that you get a sense of how deep and complicated all this stuff goes. And um, Miley, I uh, hope that you get some therapy. Thanks, everyone. FDRURL.com forward slash donate to help out this show. Appreciate it. Take care.